You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena, the parochial vicar of St. Anne's Parish in Butte, Montana, and chaplain of Butte Central Catholic Schools. Enjoy. I have come not to bring peace, but division. Okay, Lord, say that, but aren't you the Prince of Peace? It's one of your names, one of your titles. Isn't the entire high priestly prayer at the Last Supper in John aimed toward unity, the longest prayer in the entire gospel? Isn't the entire Sermon on the Mount, you know, the greatest collection of commands ever given in human history, isn't that founded on peace? You know, if someone hits you, turn the other cheek. If someone takes your shirt, give them your cloak. If someone makes you carry their bag a mile, carry it a second mile. So what's going on here? How, does, how can we reconcile these two images of Jesus? Let's dig into these readings today. They're rich, they're confusing, they're profound, they're really relevant for us. So first, we need to look back to last week. This is one of the rare opportunities I've had to preach two weeks in a row here. And so, last week we received in the gospel a difficult reading. It told us we, we had to We have to preach the gospel with our words and with our lives. It's not optional as Christians to preach. And the world desperately needs to hear it. Now, why is that something I even needed to preach about? Because it seems like as Christians it's pretty obvious that we need to preach the gospel. And it it seems obvious that it's something we would want to do. So why, why do we even need encouragement in that matter? I think... Today's readings sort of answer that question. And the sort of doubts that come into our hearts when we think about sort of fully committing our lives to the Lord in that way. Because we see in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, who's preaching the word of God directly from the mouth of God, and he's thrown into a cistern to die. Just because he's preaching, and that's from his own people, not even from his enemies. But we need a bit of background, because that reading is totally out of context and doesn't make any sense in the way that we just read it, which the church is wise in doing such things. So, some background. Israel had been sort of classically unfaithful to the Lord for hundreds of years coming up to the time of Jeremiah. They'd been idolatrous, you know, worshipping the gods of other countries. Uh, They hadn't followed the law in really any of its aspects in in completeness, uh, in the sacrifice, or in the food laws. And on top of all this, there's one thing in particular that had just recently happened. You know, Jeremiah's preaching that the Lord is going to punish them for the way that they've been doing things. And Zedekiah the king finally sort of opens his heart a little bit and says, Jeremiah, what do we have to do? And Jeremiah tells him, what do you think we should do? And and Zedekiah says, well, I want to do a jubilee year. And so Zedekiah declares a jubilee year. Now a jubilee year in in Israel is supposed to happen every 50 years. It never really did. But in a jubilee year, it was demanded that you, if you own slaves, you free them. If someone has a debt to you, you forgive them that debt. If, If you've confiscated any land from anyone, you give that land back. And it's sort of symbolic of the exodus, of of all those things happening to Israel. They were given freedom after years of slavery, 400 years of slavery in Egypt. 
They were given a land that was not their own. The Lord gave them the Holy Land. And they were given money that was not their own. As they left Egypt, people just gave them gold and treasures. uh, And it wasn't theirs. And so the Jubilee year is supposed to symbolize that. And so the the Lord's okay with this. He says, good idea, Zedekiah. And so he declares a Jubilee year, but about two days into it, they decide, you know, that's a little bit too much. Can't really do that. So they renege on their Jubilee year. They take back their slaves. They take back their land. They reintroduce the debts that have been forgiven. And the Lord has had enough. He says, if you've so forgotten your roots, the freedom that I gave you, that you can't do that for one another, then I have nothing left for you but to let you feel the consequences of your sin. And so he declares to them that Babylon is going to conquer them and take them into exile. And what, is, what Jeremiah is preaching just before this reading is telling them that the only way you're going to survive this is if you submit to Babylon, to your worst enemy. You have to submit to them and go into exile freely. And that's something that no one wants to hear. So when someone tells you something like that, you throw them in a cistern. It's pretty much, that's how people respond. Now, to fully understand that reading, to go deeper into it, I think we need to jump forward to the gospel for a bit. What does Jesus say? I've come to cast a fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already blazing. Jesus doesn't come to preach bland tolerance of one another. He comes to preach love. And love is a blazing fire. It's an all-consuming fire. There's two fascinating and sort of terrifying things about fire that I want to bring up. First is fire's ability to sort of annihilate everything in its path. when, when When a fire burns through a place, it destroys everything. But also, the second thing is, is fire's ability to transform the thing that it's burning into itself. When fire burns something, it sort of makes that thing into fire. The thing becomes fire. It's like the the idea of the coal, which is still wood, but in in a mysterious way, it just looks like it, it, it itself has become fire. So I think both of those aspects are at work in the gospel. First, we see the first one in that, in that first reading with Jeremiah, that Israel had built up sort of structures of sin in their society that they were attached to and addicted to, to the point that even a jubilee year couldn't free them from those things. They couldn't let go of their slaves. They couldn't let go of the debts that were owed them. And it got to the point where the Lord, the only thing he could do was let the whole thing burn to the ground to let it all be destroyed, that they could start again as people after his own heart. And we see the fruit of the exile. It's a difficult time in the history of Israel. But after the exile, never again did they struggle with idolatry. Up until then, it was, it was constant. They were always worshiping the gods of other countries. After the exile, we never see idolatry again in Israel. Now that might make sense of the first part of the gospel, at least in part, but what about the more troubling words that come in the second half of the gospel today. And Jesus says, Do you think that I have come to establish peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. It's a difficult thing to hear. 
Someone, if someone were to go and take a random poll on the streets and say, did Jesus come to establish peace on the earth? And get the answer. I would say almost unanimously people would say, yes, of course, that's what he came for. And ultimately, we'd be right in saying that. But that's, as a whole, not right here and right now. And why is that? Because Jesus came to preach the truth. He is the truth. And he can do nothing else. And what happened when he preached that? He was crucified. And Jeremiah the prophet today, who we see from the mercy of one man lifted out of that cistern, but within a few years he's going to be stoned by his own people. Before the the New Testament is through, we see that John the Baptist has been beheaded. You know, Stephen's been stoned. James has been executed by Herod. Peter and Paul are waiting in a prison in Rome for their execution. Whoever preaches the the truth authentically in this world is going to be hated and persecuted. That's how it's always been, that's how it is, and that's how it always will be. That's just the way of the world. Uh, And this is the division of which Jesus is speaking. You know, he's not, Jesus didn't come desiring division. That wasn't his deepest desire. But he's God, and he knows us better than we know ourselves. He says, from now on, a household of five will be divided, three against two, two against three, father against son, mother against daughter, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. This isn't Jesus being, like, mean-spirited. It's just him speaking truth. Because we've all had an experience that when someone calls us to be greater than we are, when they call us out on something we need to be called out on, on a fault of ours, especially when it's someone close to us, it's hard to hear. It, usually when, when we receive that, our immediate reaction is anger, vitriol, sometimes violence, because we don't want to hear those truths. And I think that, brothers and sisters, is why we're afraid to preach the gospel and live it in a way that's, that's authentic. Because we know the cost, and it's terrifying. You know, first... First, we don't want to preach it because we know that, it's, that we're going to have to change something about our own lives in order to feel real in doing it. Uh, that's, that's number one. It, it, it threatens our own sort of idols, the sort of city of idols that we've built up around us. And that's true, and we need to acknowledge it. But second, uh, there's always vanity at work. You know, we, we want people to have a good opinion of us. That's just the way we are. And that's not a terrible thing. It's good, it's good to want to not be hated by everyone. That's a good thing. Uh, but but when, it costs us, when it costs us the acting who, like who we are, when we're not being authentic in order that people will like us, that's when it becomes a sin. We have to be willing to tolerate division for the truth? And are we willing, especially in our family and amongst our friends, to suffer division for the truth? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. But before we get discouraged, stop listening if you are still listening. Know that that Jesus did this perfectly so that we could do it imperfectly. And I don't and I don't mean that by that I don't mean half-heartedly. But I mean 
Oh, just a story. The first time, I don't know if this is appropriate for a homily, but the first time I remember defending the faith was at a high school party with a bush light in my hand. And, man, was I the height of hypocrisy? Absolutely. You know, I was doing the same thing everyone else was doing. But I, I stood up for my faith, and all, however imperfect it was, the Lord, I think, accepted that. And after a time, I let the Lord convict my heart and, and call me to change in some real way. So however imperfectly, however incompletely, we need to preach the gospel now. We just need to start, get after it. And the Lord will bring the world to life for us. We'll see the world in a whole new way. You know, and, then, and then that great fire of Jesus will begin to consume us. And when it does, it will begin to sort of burn down that city of idols. Whatever needs to be burned, the Lord will burn. And it will be the most difficult thing you ever do. But it's the most joyful thing we could ever do. Because it's freedom. The freedom to rebuild after the Lord's own heart. But what's that other thing that fire does? As it burns everything down, it transforms everything into itself. So as the Lord consumes our heart, we become like him in the, in the realest way we possibly can in this world. We're transformed. And there's nothing more beautiful in this world than a saint, than someone who knows who they are, who knows the Lord. And there's nothing more compelling either and convicting in a beautiful way. So may we let the Lord consume our hearts with his fire, uh, transform us, burn down our idols and transform us to be like him that we could preach with the great beauty of being saints.